Hi, I'm Dave Scott. I'm pastor of Crossway Community Church, and I want to welcome you. Crossway is a church simply committed to making disciples. We meet at 1501 Woodbury Road. It's off of Colonial and Fort Wayne in East Orlando. Come check us out. I look forward to meeting you. How many times, again and again, it speaks to how we should relate to one another. And uh, I felt the repetition, even though these are things we know versus we've heard, you see how important and how serious this is to God, that he would uh, again and again speak to um, uh, the way in which we should relate. So I'm going to close this or open in prayer here as Crossway Kids is dismissed. Lord, we pray for Crossway Kids. We pray, God, that you would uh, bless that time and grow those lives and hearts. Lord, we lift this time to you, and uh, we pray you speak to our hearts as well, Lord. We thank you for the privilege to gather here. And, uh, Lord, we pray for those around the world, Lord, uh, in these terrible times for the people in Israel, uh, Lord, for... uh, uh, our uh, fellow uh, our Jews here, even in, in, in America, who are experiencing persecution, Lord, um, we know that your your people is a special people to you. You brought us Christ through them and uh, your word. We pray, Lord, in this time that you protect them as well. But Lord, speak to us through your word this morning. Amen. Yeah. When, when uh, Amy saw the verses for this, she said, Dave, is, is, there, is there a problem in the church that you're going to address? <laughs> there is, Amy. <laughs> uh, not that anything comes to mind. I just know that there always are issues, right, uh, that we all have in, in our marriages as well. There are always tensions. There's things that come up, things that happen. And uh, so, no, this isn't <laughs> anything that we're going to talk about that I want to be heavy this morning or anything like that. But the reason why I'm speaking is because Jesus said that the, this, the way we measure maturity— Spiritual maturity, spiritual growth is the way in which we love one another. This is a church that's focused on discipleship, on being disciples. And he said the one thing that should define us as disciples is the way we relate to one another. Um, And uh, that's that's true no more than in the area of communication. And when we have disagreements, we have to talk about difficult things. Uh, what we might call conflict. You know, we use the word conflict, uh, and it has a negative connotation as if it's a problem, right? We have arguments. I know you, you've never had an argument in your marriage at your home, uh, but Donna and I, we've, we've, we've had communication exercises. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but really, I want to sh- suggest a change in in vocabulary, because really what Scripture teaches is these are not interruptions, these are not problems, these are crucial conversations. That means they're valuable, it means that they're vital, it means that they're necessary. Um, And so we need to re-disciple this whole area of our lives. Um, A couple different resources I want to point out to you that have been very meaningful to me. Um, Jim Van Eypern's book, uh, Making Peace. I I know Jim. Uh, This is a guide to overcoming church conflict about how do we deal with this in the local church. That's probably the best one on that. Uh, uh, Ken Sandy, The Peacemaker. This is probably the the Bible on the Bible on um, uh, what Scripture has to say in this whole area. 
Um, two books uh, that specifically in this year God's used in my own life and my own journey and growing in this area is uh, a book called Difficult Conversations, How to Discuss What Matters Most, and another book called Crucial Conversations, Tools When Stakes Are High. We've all had those conversations, right? When we're talking about the things that matter the most to us, that's sometimes where it's the hardest, the most difficult to do that. How do we approach that? Crucial conversations. Stakes are high. That's what makes it difficult, right? When there's a lot on the line for you or for whoever. Um, and so th- those books have a lot of really practical things. And I'm taking a lot of this this morning from that. Uh, and these are all scriptural principles. Another one that's really very formative in me, Pete Scazzaro, I've spoken about. He has a book called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. He has a podcast. I, lis- I was listening to it yesterday as I was working um, uh, called Emotionally Healthy Leadership. And it's uh, under the title Leadership, but he's really talking about uh, healthy emotional habits uh, as, as we're discipled. And so I, I point those out to you. You know, we're focused here on growing lives, as I said. And what does the life of a disciple look like? And at the center is the cross, right? That's our vision. The vision here at Crossway is the cross. Uh, And how do we live a a Christ-centered life where all of our life is centered around Christ, defined by Christ, reshaped by Christ? How do we live a Christ-enthralled life? Well, first of all, it means obviously it affects our vertical relationship with God, that we're going to glorify him and enjoy him and, and um, honor him. Uh, and, and, but some of the ways that we relate in relationships don't honor him. And so this is an area where he wants to stretch all of us. Um, uh, loving one another, that's our relationships here, right? In the body of Christ, that's a, a, a vertical, I mean, a horizontal relationship. Uh, the other side is, is, is the world out there. How do we love them? How do we bless people that, that are not in the church? And then growing down roots deep, deeply, how do I myself grow? How do I grow personally in this area? Um, all these dimensions come together. It's why we want to address this, because if, if I don't allow God to, to, to uh, disciple my heart here, it's going to affect my relationship with one another, right? It's going to affect my relationship with God. You know, it, Jesus says it's going to affect our witness to the world if we don't love one another. Um, so really, I feel like this is probably one of the most important sermons I could preach of the year. It's not necessarily going to be my best, but uh, the reason why is because this is critical for the future of the church. If we're talking about being disciples, we need to allow God to radically change us. What we're talking about here is growing a radical culture, a culture where it's, we are different. We allow the gospel, we allow grace to reshape the way that we we live and think and relate to one another. We're not going to just keep doing the status quo. We're not going to settle with the way things are, right? The way we relate in our marriages, the way we relate at work, our attitudes, our patterns, our habits. We're going to grow. This is a commitment. This is what we're saying here. And that's why I want to address this, this area to give us some, some tools to put in our toolbox. What are some of the different ways that we approach conflict? Well, one of the ways is the escape response, and this is the peace-faking response. We run away from conflict. We avoid it, right? And, uh, and so that's not healthy. That, uh, you know, we, Donna does um, the Enneagram. I don't know if you all have done that. She comes out as a nine, which is a peacemaker. Well, peacemaking is not a, pers- a personality trait like we're talking about it biblically. It's, it's, it's a, a discipleship uh, uh, 
choice of the heart. Peacemaking, when we talk about that, I'm a peacemaker, means I want to avoid conflict at all costs. I want to think I like the, you know, the, the waters to be smooth. And we are talking about taking steps towards peace, but we're not talking about doing it in an artificial way. The other, if we don't escape, then a lot of times conflict is, is an attack, right? an attack response. And this is the peace breaking, right? And all of us at times, our tongue have gotten loose, as James says, and we've lashed out in, in the moment and hurt each other. Um, but one of the things is this is really a heart issue. This is about my heart. Even when you've done something to hurt me, it's really about, for me anyway, on my side of the table, it's about what goes on in my heart. And it's easy for us to take these hurts and for them to become an idol. It starts out with desire, things that I want. I desire, right? There's even good desires, you know, uh, but it's a question of what are my expectations unmet? You know, when I have, when there's, 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 there's conflict, it's usually because some expectation, something I expected to happen didn't happen or something I didn't expect to happen happened. So we need to quantify expectations. What about expectations? Well, first of all, they shouldn't be unspoken. Usually they are. That's what trips us up, right? Assumptions. Uh, uh, but they also need to be realistic. Um, we need to talk about our expectations. We need to, to, to communicate those with one another. And then we need to agree on those expectations. Um, so this is a way to, to keep uh, expectations from being a landmine that we step on and we don't even know it. Um, my desires, uh, and I need, to, I need to speak those to Donna of what, what I want. She does the same with me. I had been working on a project doing some varnishing and on our lanai. I put up plastic to keep the dust away from it. There's a varnish dried. And Donna said, Dave, would it be possible to have that down by Thanksgiving? <laughs> See, she give it time. She give it, she's, she's, she's verbalizing it. We're going to come to an agreement on this, Dave. Well, I took it down last night. So, uh, But that expectation, because uh, a desire becomes a demand, right? And then I demand something. And a lot of times we do this to God. We demand that he do things for us that he never promised to do. Um, and we can have that same thing with one another. When we don't talk about our desires, they become demands, and then we feel offended, and we take, we take uh, you know, offense. Uh, and, uh, and, and it's easy for us then to judge, right? Put ourselves in the place of, what does judgment mean? You know, uh, the scripture said not to judge. It's talking about putting myself in a position of superiority over you. Uh, looking down on you to make me feel better, as if there's moral high ground that I have. Though the cross is even, we're all at the foot of the cross, we're kneeling as sinners. Scripture does call us to be discerning. It's not saying that you shouldn't have discernment and, and be able to speak truth and name what's happened. That's not what it's saying. Um, but what it is talking about is the posture of my heart. And then, you know, when people have done something wrong, we can lash out and punish them in response. And there are a lot of different ways we can punish. We can punish verbally. Uh, we can punish with silence, freezing somebody out, alienation. Um, we can punish physically, and domestic violence is a, is a real uh, epidemic here in America. Um, but there's lots of ways we punish that are short of that. And, but these, these, this is how our, our, our heart is growing an idol. It's then defensive about that idol. It lashes out about that idol. And that's not what God wants us to do. Two keys to conflict that I've just, in the last year or two, that have kind of been light bulbs for me. Maybe they'll make a difference for you. The first one is to approach it instead of with accusation and what that person did, approach it with curiosity. When I, when I have, feel hurt, 
you know, at, be curious and come to them, help me understand what you, why you did that. That's a lot different than saying you, know, you did such and such and, 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 and that's a terrible thing. Help me understand why you did it. I'm asking for your context. There may be a context that I, that you didn't, I didn't know about. Philippians says, look out not only for your own interest, but also the interest of others. This is me putting myself intentionally in your shoes to hear from you. Uh, curiosity, for, this begins untying the knot rather than complicating it, making it tighter, right? A lot of times we do that when we attack and then there's, there's a defensive response. This begins to open things up to create a safe place to communicate. The second one is empathy. About 90% of conflict will be solved with empathy. Empathy just means I just want you to feel what I felt. I want, you, I want to be heard and understood at how I felt, that my feelings are valid. You know, so you can say, you know, I can understand how you felt that way. You know, even if I think that they were wrong if they, on their side of things, I can still say, yeah, I can understand why you felt that way. And that's a valid feeling when Donna's hurts. Yes, that's a valid feeling. Acknowledge it and name it. That will go so much to healing and relationships. So two keys, put them on your keychain. Curiosity, ask questions, empathy. Valid, you know, hear and repeat back what you've heard. Is that what you say? Here's what I heard you saying, and validate it. Because um, we're all just looking for validation, right? This is a part of, of growing healthy relationships. But what we're trying to do is allow the scripture to redisciple us. We all come from different families. Those of you who have gotten married, you discover early in marriage that your wife, your spouse, your husband does conflict in a different way, right? Um, so, for example, give an example. Donna, she'll say, hey, Dave, do you want to have pizza tonight? Dave, do you, do you, really, do you really like that in the living room? <laughs> this is Donna's way of telling me she does want pizza tonight. She doesn't like that in the living room. They, in her family, they did it with questions. In my family, I just say, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't, you know, but it's a different, it, we have different styles, different cultures. Um, and so uh, uh, we have to grow. First of all, we glorify God. That's the first thing. How can I honor God in this situation? I mean, this is so complex. How, I don't know even how to approach this. What would honor God? What kind of response would glorify God? Matthew says that, you know, if, you, if you're giving your offering and you know something's wrong, you go to that person. So this is actually an extension of worship. I can't have a, 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 an unimpeded relationship with God when I have something between you and me. This is, for God, it's all of one fabric, right? Um, and so how do I glorify God is, 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 the, is the first thing. Because God doesn't see conflict as a problem. He sees it as an opportunity. Um, Think about this. God actually structured the history of redemption to leave us in the presence of sin, to leave us in the context of conflict so that we would grow. God could have taken sin out. He could have taken sin out of your spouse. He could have removed the problems that you have at work, but he didn't. He left us here to grow as a part of our growth. He sees it as an opportunity, first of all, for him to be glorified, right? That it's not Dave who's doing this. I can actually change Dave, and Dave can, can do something supernatural as I flow through him. But we have to trust God in that, in these areas. You know, if somebody's hurt me and I'm going to reach out to them, I'm having to trust God with my safety as I do that. I have to trust that the Lord is going to be my defender. The Lord's going to protect my reputation. The Lord's going to protect me. I trust him, and we grow in our faith. That it's an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work. To, to believe, to have hope that God can change us, 
that he can change me, that he can change you, that he can change our spouse. Um, and so it's an opportunity for healing. He sees it as an opportunity for his kingdom to grow. We pray, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done. <laughs> your kingdom come in my mouth with what I say. Your will be done with my attitudes, the way I think about those uh, that are closest to me. So this is a way to glorify God. Second G, these are G's, to grow our biblical view of conflict is to grant love. We have to grant love. Jesus says, uh, my commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? This is not some kind of reality show, TV show kind of love, love at first sight, some kind of dreamy kind of thing. Is he just talking about the kind of fellowship love where we all just enjoy being with each other here and talking and connecting and hugging and giving and shaking? That's not the kind of love he's talking about. When he says, love others as I have loved you, he's talking about loving someone who's hurt you, loving someone who was not loyal to you, because that's us. That's us and God. He's forgiving us from our sin and our rebellion and our conscious um, uh, offenses against him. And he's saying, we need to do the same thing. That's what he's talking about, loving your neighbor. Love, you have to grant love. It's a decision. Love is not a feeling. It's a choice of my will, right? Um, to, to give unconditional love. Can Dave do that? No, that's a fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to do that, but I have to yield to him to do that. We're talking about that disciples love as Jesus loves. And that means having these difficult conversations, these crucial conversations, is a loving thing to do. It's actually, you see it as a positive thing. I'm moving towards you. I want to resolve this. Our relationship is strong enough to have this conversation. If we can go through this, we'll actually be stronger on the other side. That's what Scripture says. You'll win a brother, right? And so that's why we should come to these with hope not with despair. Um, but Jesus is clear. He says, get the log out of your own eye, right? We read the passage, you know, I'm so focused. All I can see is what I see in you, right? And I don't see the massive uh, beam sticking out of me. When I go to you, it has to be in humble repentance. I have to do it from a place that I am broken as well. If you don't come with brokenness and humility, then you're not going to be able to see your own your own log, and you're just going to have a, a, a conversation of judgmental confrontation. Um, you know, uh, so uh, uh, it's called use the, con the contribution system. What does that mean? In any situation, we're all a part of it. We all bring our brokenness to the table. Everywhere I go, I bring my brokenness. That means I bring my rough edges. So I'm going to contribute to the situation. What was my contribution? How did I play a part in this? What do I need to own? And this is the way to diffuse with humility. If I open up to you about what I can own in the situation, it gives you the freedom then, right, to own what you brought to the situation. Um, but the fourth one is to gently restore. This is the scriptural principle of Galatians 6. The reason to, to move into one of these conversations is for redemption. It has a redemptive and a restorative purpose. How can I move to heal the relationship? How can I take the first step in that? God will take, God can use that. The Holy Spirit can use that. I'm not responsible for, your, for your, how you respond. I'm just responsible to take the initiative of what God's called me to be obedient to. And I have to leave the rest to the Holy Spirit. I can't be your Holy Spirit. You can't be your spouse's Holy Spirit. Um, Don and I uh, had gotten in a, in our marriage, we, we, we get in, 
we have a difficulty and we have a conversation about it. And, and, and then we're trying to resolve it. And the more we talked about it, the more we are actually getting more and more upset at each other. It seemed like, wow, what in the world's going on here? This is counterproductive. And so uh, one of the things that we did, this is about two years ago, we went to a marriage um, uh, uh, for a semester of a, it's a group that's called Reengage. Uh, and it's kind of a, you know, put, put, put it on the rack, take the wheels off, check the brake pads kind of deal with marriage. And um, uh, one of the things that it really helped us was um, to, to, uh, to, to uh, figure out what was going on. We're, instead of keeping loggerheads here and beating our head against the wall, um, uh, you know, we, we both moved towards each other. But one of the things they said there at, 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 uh, at re-engage is they said, now draw a circle around yourself uh, mentally. Just draw a circle around yourself. He said, now, you can change everything that's inside that circle. Now work on what's inside that circle, right? I can't change you. I'm not responsible for you. But I, I can bring change to the situation because I can change me and believe that God can change you. That means applying grace. We bring grace to the situation. It was read, Ephesians 4. Forgiving one another, right? Forgiving one another. Why? Because God has forgiven me. So what C.S. Lewis says, how can I excuse the inexcusable in you? Because God's excused the inexcusable in me. So how can I apply grace, gospel grace, to this situation? What does the gospel speak to this? We're trying to bring gospel into the broken areas of our lives. And as we do that, we grow the church here. We grow the kingdom. Um, but then it involves going to be reconciled. He says, go and tell your brother his fault. You know, peacemaking is not a personality type, like I said. It's an obedience to restore unity. A disciple realizes their responsibility, and they take the initiative. We reject, the disciple res, rejects passivity. And this is, I mean, I, we could do a whole sermon on this, and, and all of us are, are guilty of this in some areas of our life. We're, we're just passive about it, right? We've accepted the stalemate of the status quo, and we've retreated into our corner. So many marriages are like that. There may be in different areas of our life that we've allowed it to become that way. We need to take responsibility. And we need to end passive aggression. It's another tool we use against each other. We're going to move towards the problem in repentance, in humility, asking the Holy Spirit to change me, and praying that he changes the other person as well. Um, but it involves it's a giving to them. It's serving this person. When I'm bringing healing, I'm moving towards restoration. It's actually a service to that person and to, the, uh, to what God wants to do in their life. Um, and, uh, but it involves growth. Growth for me, growth for them. We can't, you and I can't grow if we don't communicate. I've got the way to break the status quo, right, is for somebody to take the initiative to take the first step. Go and tell him his fault. A lot of times we don't like to do this. We're not, this doesn't happen, and we just we end up collecting offenses, right? Every time something happens between me and you, like it's like a brick was put down, a cinder block, right? And then there was another one, and then there was another one, and pretty soon I've got a wall between me and you because I didn't deal with them when they happened. I collected offenses. Instead, we need to keep short accounts. When something happens, Don and I will talk about it, right? And 
one of the one of the foundations of our marriage is is to, is to ask and grant forgiveness. But in, even in the church or in your family relationships, keep short accounts. Right? Don't allow them to collect. Thinking, oh, that's, that's not important. I won't talk to him. I, yeah, I know it, it, it. It's awkward. These are difficult conversations. The stakes are high. That's what makes it difficult. But God calls us to take the initiative. How do we, but then we got to own it. We got to own our part. What does that involve in terms of confession? Well, first of all, it means who all was involved in this, and I need to address everybody who was involved in this. It means avoiding, you know, ifs and buts. Well, yeah, I did that, but this, and then you, you, you want to go on and tell the rest of your story. Well, you, this is not the place to justify yourself. Um, you know, admit what you were wrong, say, say what it was. Um, you know, and admit specifically, yes, I did that, that was wrong, um, both in attitudes and in actions. Acknowledge the hurt. You know, express sorrow for hurting the other person. This is where empathy comes in. Um, not just regret that, you know, oh, that's caused a big problem, man, this blew up our date night. I wish that hadn't happened. No, I'm legitimately sorry for the way I contributed to this. Um, but also accepting the consequences, right? Being an adult, being a disciple means I accept the consequences of my action and make restitution, make things right. Alter my behavior. You can't just keep doing something and then saying you're sorry, you're sorry. That's not, that's not true forgiveness. That's not, that's not true repentance. We need to all come and be willing to change and willing to grow. Ask forgiveness. I was wrong. This is what I did. Name it specifically. Will you forgive me? Don't just say sorry. You could take that word out of your vocabulary because we use it as a way to not ask forgiveness, to not own. We just say sorry. I said I was sorry. I apologized. No, you need to name what it was, own that you did it, and then ask for forgiveness. Ask and grant forgiveness. Our culture does this. Say, oh, I apologized. I apologize. Okay, I apologize to you. What did you apologize for? No, I just apologize. <laughs> we need to be specific. Um, Dr. Gary Chapman, many of y'all have uh, used his book, Love Languages. He was actually my pastor growing up in a church I grew up in, Calvary Baptist Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. He's a close family friend. His wife was my mom's best friend. Uh, he wrote another book called The Five Languages of Apology. In Don and I's relationship, one of the things I realized was we had different styles of apology. We had different expectations about what apology and reconciliation meant. One of, the, one of the languages that Dr. Chapman suggested is the, the language of regret, saying I'm sorry. Some of us need to hear it actually said, right? The words are important. It's like having the love languages of, of, of uh, words of affirmation. You need to have it talked out. Some of you all are verbal processors, um, and you need to do that. The second one is saying I'm wrong, accepting responsibility. This is another part of reconciliation is, is accepting the responsibility. A third one is, how can I make this right? Making restitution. Uh, restitution, sometimes, it, you know, we need to repair in the relationships. We were talking about this at Forge, and we're talking about our father wounds this week. And uh, one of the things that someone, I heard someone say recently, the one thing you can give to your adult kids, yeah, we're, we're going to mess up our kids because we're all broken people. We can't help that. But we can give them the gift of repair. What does that mean? That I, my sons had the freedom to come and talk to me about, you know, how, how, what was it like for them growing up? How did they do it? How were they hurt? We, I create a safe space for them so that they uh, 
can talk about it. It's one of the best gifts you can give adult children, even non-believing children. You can give them the safe place of repair that, yes, you can come to me and talk to me about that. I won't be so defensive that I won't acknowledge my brokenness to you. And as, as parents, you need to be you ask forgiveness as well. We screw up and, and own responsibility to our kids. Another love language or apology language is planning change. I'll take steps to prevent a reoccurrence, right? This is where I'm being concrete. I'm having accountability about growing and doing things differently. The last one is requesting forgiveness. Can you find it in your heart to forgive me? Will you forgive me? So asking a question and then stopping and waiting for an answer. Now, that person has a choice about whether they want to release you or not. You don't have any control over that. If you've apologized and you've owned what you've said, then your part's done. And then, but forgiveness is really for me. When I forgive you, it's for me because unforgiveness is an acid that will eat me from the inside out. It's me releasing, letting go, not carrying the burden of what's been done to me. Um, well, um, when I forgive, what do I do? There's four promises to forgive. One is, I will not dwell on this incident. That's what I'm promising you when I say I forgive you. I'm not going to dwell on this. I'm going to keep running this through in my mind. I don't know about y'all. My mind like, like this gets, develops these, these loops, these scripts, and it's like, oh, it's, you know, man, it just ticks me off. I just get more and more upset inside as I replay that incident over and over again. When, I, when I'm saying I forgive you, right, I'm pushing pause on that, that mental uh, a videotape. Another one is, I will not bring this incident up again and use it against you. In marriage, we like to have a nice little collection in the closet, the things that we can bring out at a crucial time and club you know, our partner over the head of some mistake that they've made. When I say I'm forgiving you, I'm saying I'm not going to bring this up. This is going to be resolved. We're going to let the past be the past. Now, I want to say that abuse is a totally different context, okay? Any kind of emotional abuse, physical abuse, uh, anything like that is different and, and a whole different thing. Yes, we need to have boundaries. You don't allow a person to keep, to keep uh, you know, uh, be having abusive behavior. That's not okay. That's not what we're saying here. Um, we're not saying that you need to be a doormat. And so, um, you, you know, part of, that's a part of, it, of a restitution and the reconciliation is earning that trust, building that trust back. Um, I will not talk to others about this incident. Jesus says, if you know that a brother has an offense against you or you have an offense against him, you go to him alone. Let's make this commitment in the church that if one of us hurts one another, if we finish it, I'm going to go to you, right? Uh, if I have something with Keith, for problem with Keith, I'm not going to talk to Fripp, right? And uh, why? Because I want to go to Keith. If I involve Fripp, that may affect Fripp's relationship with Keith. And, and Fripp, Keith may have done nothing wrong. I'd got it wrong. You know, I didn't understand the context. If I go to him and he said, oh, well, this is why that, that said that or why I did that. Or, and he can own it. It gives him the freedom to be able to do that. But when you, go, when you go to somebody else, you're just spreading, allowing Satan more and more places to get his foothold in. I won't talk to others about this. I'm going to come to you. I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. I can either hold on to this incident and let go of you, or I let go of this incident so I can hold on to you. That's what forgiveness means. You're more important to me than what happened then. Our future relationship means more to me. I want healing. I'm willing to let the past go, my collection of offenses, because you mean more to me. Well, um, so this is, this is, you know, is this, does Dave do this naturally? No, this is not Dave. 
you know, uh, Scripture says what the, what, the, what the works of the flesh are. We all have flesh in the area of conflict. We hurt each other um, because we have habits. We've learned from the way we grew up uh, around us. This is not the way the world does conflict. But we have to do this here in the church so that we can grow a healthy culture, Right? A culture of grace where we have the freedom to be wrong. Yes, I can admit that I did that and I was wrong. But does that mean I'm a terrible person? No. Does that mean you're a terrible person? No. It means we're all under construction. But if we're in humility, if we're repentant, then God can bring healing. And what we can grow here, we can invite other people into, right? We can invite this. It can be a place of repair for people. Um, if it, typically, you know, what, what Satan likes to do with the church is create it into this toxic boil that's just filled with pus, right? And it just grows and it gets, gets worse and worse, this infection. In, of, of, because when we come to the church, we all bring our brokenness here. We walk in as sinners. The unprocessed issues you have in your marriage, you actually bring in here. If we had a business meeting, the same defensiveness or whatever you struggle with in your marriage, you're going to have it here because all I can be is me. In the current state of so that's why here we have to let the Holy Spirit right to be creating a new creation in us that the way that we relate to one another here Jesus says is so radical that people will see it and know that Jesus is the real thing that it's authentic to do that we have to be authentic and that's what we're growing here at Crossway and so that's why I say this is the most why is this the most important sermon because this is what's going to determine you know uh, uh, our uh, missional effectiveness. In the year ahead, we, we have to be healthy first. Put on your own oxygen mask first, right, before you can put on the oxygen mask of those around you. If we're not healthy here, how can we invite other people into this circle? And one of the things I appreciate is the health of this church. But all of us are broken people, and we're all under construction. And my exhortation to you is just for us to continue to grow, to keep doing this, to keep allowing God to build healthy habits in us um, so that he will be glorified. God, that's our, that's our goal here. That's what we want. We come together here, uh, Lord, and we say that we're better together, but the choice, the real truth is, is that together we can show how great you are, that you are, in fact, the best thing that there is, and you're our good. You're the only good that we have. Lord, uh, anything that's here at Crossway that's special, Lord, it's because of your Holy Spirit. It's because of your character shining through the people that are here. Uh, even as Amy was talking about, through, through the elders, through their faithfulness, through their walks with the Lord, through all the people who serve here, who give, who come, attend, and are a part, Lord. Uh, but this is you, and we praise you, and we give you the glory, and we pray for you to continue the work in us. Lord, we claim Philippians 1.6, that you will continue to work in us and, and complete us until the day of Christ Jesus. That's our hope. And we thank you and praise you for it. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for joining us today and listening to this message from Crossway Community Church. Once again, we meet at 1045 on Sunday mornings at 1501 Woodbury Road, which is just off Colonial and 408 in East Orlando. Come check us out. I'll see you then.